Episode 4 of Jalen and Jacoby, The After Show is brought to you by AT&T. And now, Jalen and Jacoby. It's now time to turn our attention to Episode 4. And Episode 4 went better for the Bulls than it did for the bad boys. And Jalen, we're going to discuss it. The walk-off. Now we're going to talk to Jason about the walk-off. You've talked to me about the Detroit Pistons walking off the floor and not shaking the hands of the Chicago Bulls like every month for years and years and years. For some (laughs) reason, this moment resonates in the foundation of your character like none other in the history of your life. So now is your time. You finally have the floor to once more explain to the people what it felt like to be a lifelong Pistons fan to watch them not just lose but get waxed by the Bulls, (laughs) and then walk off without shaking their hands. I, hey, man, let me tell you something. The Pistons were the Bulls' greatest rival, not the Celtics, who were past their prime, not the Lakers, who were in the Western Conference. It was the Pistons. Jordan said this in the doc. You used to play against teams in your division Six times. Oh, God. Six times. Jacoby, you play a lot of pickup basketball. You're the expert Mm -hmm. at all things basketball, not NBA. Imagine having to play against your rival six times. That's a lot in the regular season, dog. That's awful. I only got two moves. I'm I'm done after game three. <laughs> right, right. So, so then, at some so then at some point, you realize your physical limitations, and you realize this dude wearing number twenty three, he faster than us. He more athletic than us. There was a picture that one of my friends had in his room that I was so mad about because he was clearly from Detroit, and all of us. Didn't be friends with him no more. It's a picture of Jordan on the baseline shooting a jumper. And the play happens in this dock. But it's not slowed down. And Isaiah and Joe Dumars are both trying to double team him. And his knees are at Joe Dumars' uh, forehead when he's shooting the ball. He's up that high. So this this dude isn't normal. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what can we do? Huh. Okay. We can't let him go baseline because it's a dunk. Too quick. The black cat. Got to force him to help. Force him to the elbow. Can't allow him to operate alone on the post. Got to send the double. You got to do it immediately. As soon as he gets to the paint and he considers taking flight, you got to hammer him. That's what you got to do. You got to hammer him. It it, it wasn't no other. And and, and the great thing about the league then is when Mahorn will foul you first and then Lambeer will foul you second. (laughs) Those are the best. And to watch him overcome that just as a a fellow athlete, it, it was really inspiring. And so when they finally beat us, on one hand in 1991, I was playing on the best team in the country. I signed to go be a member of the Fab Five. I was playing in the summers in Ann Arbor against the Bad Boy Pistons. When they beat us, it was heartbreaking, dog. It was really heartbreaking. And so I understood and appreciated the emotion in the end of our run 
that we felt like we didn't want to be phony and shake hands and kiss babies after the series. There's so many great moments in episode four beyond just the walk off that I know was so important to you. We've got the backstory of Bill Jackson and we have Michael Jordan finally reaching the pinnacle, finally beating not just the bad boys, but the Showtime Lakers and holding Larry O'Brien trophy for the first time and showing emotion like he never has before in his life. And to discuss all of that, we now once again bring back the director of the film, The Last Dance, our close friend and the man of the moment right now on the internet, Jason Aaron joins it. us right killing now it. on the Jalen and Jacoby After Show. Let's must see TV. We're all in the same boat, stuck in our homes during a quarantine, joining our friends on Zoom calls. We all know there's a lot going on right now in the world, and we're all shopping online as we stay at home. I just saw that AT&T started doing two really helpful things for those who want to buy a new phone or device online. They're offering fast, free, no-contact delivery and curbside pickup so that online shopping is simple and safe as possible. On top of that, they have a flexible return policy so you can shop at ease. You can visit att.com to learn how to shop online from the safety of your home 24-7. Subjects to change, restrictions apply. We've been doing this show for nine years. It seems like we've still been having the same debate when it comes to who's the greatest of all time in the NBA. It's the great debate. Who's the best of the best? Who's the real deal of the NBA? When it comes to home and auto insurance, there's only one real deal, and that is State Farm. But Jalen, me and you go back and forth. I don't do the cross-era comparisons because I feel like it's like technology. It just gets better with time, so you can't do cross-era comparisons. But during this The Last Dance run, it seems like the debate has been sort of Brought back up. And some tells me I know where you side on this one. MJ, six championships, six MVPs. Nobody will do that. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, six championships, six league MVPs. Nobody ever do that. He's a light league's all-time leading scorer. Bill Russell, 11 championships, 13 years. That'll never happen again. LeBron is great. He deserves to be on Rob Rushmore, Mount Rushmore. You can fight me for this next one because he's my favorite player, Magic Johnson. I think he won five championships in 13 years. You can fight me on that one and give LeBron his spot. But for me, LeBron got to win one with the Lakers to pass Magic. But if you want to put LeBron at fourth, three championships, 17 seasons, three teams. The other people just accomplished greater achievements in the NBA. Well, obviously, I disagree, but whatever your opinion may be, there's only one thing everyone can agree on. There's nothing realer than a teammate you can rely on. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And now, once again, we're going to bring back Jason Ayer to discuss Episode 4. Jason, we left Episode 3 with Robin going on a quote-unquote vacation to Vegas. I need a vacation. You started Episode 4 with a very interesting music choice. I know how much you care about these music choices, so tell us about the selection of big puns. Don't want to be a player. Bars! Try to think of what would you be listening to at that exact time when that happened. It's January of 1998. You're in a club in Vegas. You look over, and there's this big dude in the corner you're like, look at that guy. He looks like Dennis Rodman. Well, I know it's not Dennis Rodman because they're playing in Washington tonight. Wait, <laughs> that Dennis Rodman? What would you be listening to? Good chance that 
big pun. <laughs> Don't want to be a player of Beyond. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously like the low hanging fruit of the pun of like, don't want to be a player no more. And he's on vacation in Vegas. But one of the things I found most interesting about this vacation to Vegas wasn't the fact that it happened. It was how it ended with Michael Jordan knocking on a hotel room. Okay. Because something tells me they're like, man, we got to get, we got to get Dennis back. Who wants to go to Vegas? Michael Jordan's like, I'll do that. I'll, I'll take this one for the team. I'll go to Vegas. I'll take that trip. So tell me a little bit behind the scenes how that happened. Well, I think that's misconstrued because I've seen it written a couple of places that he, he got him out of a hotel room. He got him out of his apartment. He lived across the in street. In Chicago. Yeah. Mm. He lived across the street from the United Center. He got Correct. back. His vacation, part of it happened in, in Vegas, of course, but he got back and still felt like he was going to do a staycation for a little bit in Chicago. So that's <laughs> what Michael said. All right, I'm going to walk across the street. It literally was across the street. So he oh. went with the, the uh, athletic trainer. They banged on his door and my, Michael, I think he said off camera, grabbed him by his nose ring and just like <laughs> took him out. Um, but yeah, that, that was all that actually happened. I, I wish that we were better at, at identifying to people that Michael didn't get on a plane and go to Vegas and get him, but he did grab him out of bed. And, and supposedly Dennis had like a flop house apartment. There's no furniture. It was just like a couch and a mattress in one room with a TV. Um, so. And, he had what now is termed a bachelor pad. He had a TV, a bed, a refrigerator, and a floor. Counters and, and beverages and all of the drugs that you wanted available to an individual. And one of those people that were actually there for you young fans out there that don't know, Carmen Electra was there. Mm -hmm. She was winning in her own right. So... When you were hearing about this story and I, and I saw MJ try to tiptoe around it, did he give you any tips of some of the things he saw when he went into the apartment to go grab the worm? Well, he literally said, I'm not going to tell you what was in his bed. <laughs> and he may not have known because Carmen was hiding behind a piece of furniture with, with <laughs> little to no clothing on. You know what? Wesley Morris wrote a review uh, in the Times uh, last week. <laughs> And called her a trial balloon for the Kardashians. And, and that is one of the most mm, brilliant pieces. Well said. Because mm. I don't think people, younger people know that Carmen Electra, like who she was in the nineties. This was like, she was the number one. Like, I don't know what you would call it. There was no equivalent for famous for being famous. Yeah. Well, she was an actress. She was in Baywatch and all that. She was famous for being gorgeous. And then she got a, a, a role. She was kind of, it was her and Pam Anderson and this whole slew of women who came along who kind of played that role in 90s culture. So that was, that was uh, as much for nostalgia as it was for her actually being a key player in that story and, and to fill in a lot of holes. And also, and also just to address the elephant in the room, if you were to look at a blank canvas at both of them, you would think, oh, she wouldn't want nothing to do with him. And then all of a sudden, they're a great couple hanging out, having fun. She's super famous and successful. He's an athlete, tattooed, piercings everywhere. What did you learn about that pairing? Well, we could, that, that's its own documentary that someone should pick up the ball <laughs> we left off. I will give you the transcripts for research because she told us so many stories. about. He took her coat at a bar. They, they were both at this bar and he wanted to talk to her. He took her coat and he wouldn't give it back until like she would agree to go to a diner with him and his boys that night. Um, hmm. Maybe that wouldn't fly in, in today's climate. But I don't think that's going to work for regular he, people. Yeah. But their first date, she told me, they're driving along in his truck and he gets on the highway 
going the wrong way and starts driving at traffic on the high. On no. The <laughs> <laughs> so we all know what Jalen would say if he was on a date with Dennis and he started doing that. But wow. I mean, there are so many little things that we couldn't fit into this because it's like some chapters deserve to be longer than 50 minutes, but we had to get it down. But she saw him, she saw the Dennis out in public. She saw, you know, the shy, vulnerable Dennis um, when they were behind closed doors and everything in between. But I'll never forget that story of her saying that he gets on the exit ramp. She's like, what are you doing? And then that is crazy. And the traffic on the freeway. And that's just the first date in what became a long relationship. It tells you a lot about the draw of Dennis Rodman. But this episode four was focused not on Dennis and Rodman, but also told the backstory of a gentleman by the name of Phil Jackson, who is not just instrumental to this particular bunch of championships, but other ones as well, especially with the Lakers. And when you saw him, we've all heard about the Zen master and Montana and, and all of this. What was it? What was that like, that experience for you to go interview Phil Jackson in his home court? So we went. Phil is very insulated and you have to go through a number of people to get to Phil. And, and I never, I still to this day don't have Phil's information or his cell or his email or anything. And we were going through somebody else and we were told by this conduit that he was waiting for us in Montana on a Tuesday. So we went out there and it's tough to get to. It's a couple of flights. It's gorgeous out there. Um, but it's a couple of flights to get there. We get there on a Sunday and we shot Scenics on Monday um, just to establish, you know, where Phil is, is from of which we ended up like using that one flower shot that you see, but we shot for an entire day, not a bad day at work. It was actually really fun, but, but we used that one shot. So on Sunday and Monday, we were scouting out his house because we thought we'll interview him outside or inside. So we drive by this house and, and there's nobody there, nobody there, no cars in the driveway. We get there for the shoot on Tuesday morning and we go to this house and there's a car in the driveway and I walk up to the door and knock on the door and someone who looks like the opposite of Phil Jackson answers the door. This guy is much shorter, much wider than Phil Jackson. And I said, is, is this Phil Jackson? He said, I think you're looking for the one next door. So we go through the, these trees and there's this house there. Knock on the door. Again, he's supposed to be expecting us. He opens the door, stuck my hand out. I said, hey, coach, nice to meet you. I'm Jason Hare. He said, and? I was a crazed fan who somehow found his secret Montana lair. And I said, I basically got the door slammed in my face. I explained to him what this was, but this was August of 2018. This wasn't even on the radar yet, this project for people. So he literally closed the door in my face. Wow. Uh, I mean, not rudely, but said like, all right, let me check on this. (laughs) Not rudely. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you politely close the door in someone's face. (laughs) So I... And everyone's looking at me like, what are you going to do? I was like, all right, I guess I'll go back up there and, and try this again. And he was on, he was FaceTiming his daughter when he opened the door. And she was saying, I, th- I think that she used to work in NBA entertainment and, and she knew about the project and, and knew some of the guys in the crew. So then he was really nice. And we, we needed, we needed a lot of time out of him. I was thinking we'd do two interviews with him because he's so crucial to every single story, but we could only get him once. And we sat down with him for five and a half hours. Wow. Five and a half hours. Wow. Five and a half, um, which is a long time to sit there. And he's, he's got bad hips. He's got bad knees, a bad back, but he sat there. He, I'll, I'll give him credit. He said to me, who's putting the story together? And I said, me. And he said, what research have you done? And I said, well, I read over 10,000 pages. And he said, what books? He really wanted to know that the story was in good hands and, and for him to feel safe that he could sit down and talk to someone who understood, you know, where we were going and, and what the, the comprehensive view of, of the whole 
time was. He, he takes it seriously. They all do. Um, but he really, really did. And he's a incredibly smart guy. He's just one of those dudes that, that's just like palpable that you're dealing with a different kind of person when you're there. So it was quite a day. So Jason, we're now four episodes in and for anybody that reads books, it's like different chapters that have kind of all melted together as one. And Phil Jackson now clearly is a common denominator as the head coach. One of the times he was on the sideline, Scottie Pippen had a migraine versus my Detroit Pistons in game seven. Another time he was the head coach, he allowed Robin to take a vacation. Another time he was coaching Scottie Pippen elected to have surgery on company time because he didn't want to screw up his summer. So in talking to Phil, how do you feel he now looks back at scenarios like those? Um, with no regret. He is remarkably present, and he and Michael share this same quality in that and Michael probably learned some of that from him. I think it's in his DNA, but I think Michael really took to the Zen teachings and, and the mindfulness that Phil taught that that was not bullshit. Like he, that is how he lived his life. And he got these guys to think that way. You wake up in the morning, you see what problem is in front of you and you deal with the problem right then. You don't look back and you don't look forward. What is there right now? All right, Scotty's not here. How are we going to figure out a way to stay afloat in the East until he comes back? Dennis needs a vacation. If I don't let him take that, it's going to be a problem. He has a different set of rules. The team has to understand that. That's how we're going to deal with that problem today. Uh, Scotty's going to migraine this game. How are we going to deal with it? He's old for his first five. Um, let's get him out of there. Let's see what else works. He, remar- I mean, he's got 11 rings to show for it, man. And a lot of people say you've rolled balls out there and play. He's got Michael. He's got not Scotty. At all. He's got Kobe. It's not like that at all. It's it's not just having the basketball acumen and being brilliant with X's and O's. It's being in a, a really astute manager of personalities and of people. Think of the egos in that locker room, Shaq and Kobe, and they still managed to win multiple titles. Uh, Scotty, Michael, Dennis, just the personalities and still managing to, to manage all of these people and to get what he got out of them. So he's a tremendously impressive guy. One of the impacts of Phil Jackson was – Obviously, the Bulls were successful before Phil Jackson got there under Doug Collins. And that there was a discussion during the film, which I thought you did a really good job of piecing together about the way that Phil Collins, I mean, uh, Doug Collins coached the Bulls. And it was, hey, give Michael Jordan the ball. Let's focus. Let's focus our offense around the greatest player that I've ever seen. Let's do that. It's a good idea. And then Phil Jackson instituted the triangle offense and sort of sharing the ball and utilizing the team and the open player and things of that nature, which allowed them to get over a certain hump that is very close to the heart of my co-host, Jalen Anthony Rose, who has told me the story of the Pistons losing to the Bulls and walking off the court without shaking their hands, I don't know, 4,000 times over the last nine years. My favorite moment in sports ever. You were watching this in episode four. What were you feeling, Jalen? And Jason, after that, how did you piece that together storytelling-wise? So when I was watching it, I was reliving it. And I squint. And I feel like I see myself walking off with them. <laughs> like, you can't tell me I wasn't with them, Jacoby. When we talk about rivalries in sports, this embodied it like no other. Not only was there a professional dislike, but there was a personal disdain. We talked about Isaiah being left off the dream team. 
There was allegations that Isaiah froze out MJ in the All-Star game. All of these th- these teams were in the same conference. Pistons had won a couple of championships. They were physical with MJ. And so when the Bulls finally got to that apex in 91 and won the championship, you ain't bad boys. You actually phony if you go hug and kiss and exchange jerseys at that moment. So I appreciate it in the doc how you showed the Pistons the year prior and how things went and then how they went this season. And Horace Grant was not happy with my guy Isaiah Thomas. So what was it like to embody moments in NBA history that fans now clamor for that dislike and now all of a sudden you get a chance to see it play out right in front of your eyes? Well, as a sports fan, it's a dream. And it's, uh, some of these questions I've come up with because I'm a filmmaker and, and we're telling a story. And some of them I've wanted to ask the question since 1991. And now I finally get to ask it. So there's, there's a, there's in both ways, it's a dream job. But as from a sports fan standpoint, it's incredible because it's like, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? Or how did you feel when this guy did it? Those are simple questions that my five year old nephew would probably ask if he knew the story. The thing that we didn't get to, to dive into a lot in this, and again, it's, it's absurd to say that 10 hours isn't enough time, but that just shows you how layered the, the characters are in this thing. And Jalen, you probably, you, you're probably aware of this. Isaiah was Chicago's favorite son. Yes. Mm. He won the title at Indiana coming up. I mean, he was the prodigal son. Like he, he should have been a bull. A lot of people thought, and this was the guy. So Michael comes to town and all of a sudden, Isaiah's nephew is wearing a Michael Jordan jersey mm-hmm. and his 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 friends and family are trying to get tickets from him to go to Bulls games. So this was deep seated between them and the, 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 the freeze out may, may or may not have happened depending on who you ask. But certainly I think it's it's not even up for debate that Isaiah was hurt that Michael became the favorite son of Chicago when he was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. So. Mm-hmm. That there was something there too. And then as a Celtics fan, I asked him, because I said I have that image in my head of Mikhail reaching out to you. So why didn't you guys offer the same graciousness toward the Bulls? And it was surprising for me. And as a Celtics fan, I still had to put it in because we're, we're, we're in the business of truth telling here. He said they were, I didn't realize Adrian Dantley was shooting a free throw during the game and Larry was halfway down the tunnel. Mm. Because in, in the retelling of that story, it's that Kevin McHale was classy enough to stop midway off the floor and say, go get go get um, the Lakers. It's like the Beat L.A. chant, by the way. This is an aside. But Beat L.A. was not for Boston fans to beat L.A. That's what they chanted at the Sixers when the Sixers beat them in the Eastern Conference Finals. They ch- chanted that at the Sixers. That's where the Beat L.A. chant came from. Mm. So I thought that was like Eastern Conference, like family kind of thing. And no, that was not the case. He said, I grabbed McHale. And then he walked off. And back then, that's what you did. Now, you and I disagree, Jalen, because I still think it was classless. Um, and if you're going to be the bad boys, you can still be the bad boys where you can lose with grace. So I, I am on the side of, of anyone who says that it was it was a Bush League move. 
But as a storyteller, it was riveting to just sit there and ask these questions. And then, of course, to hand Michael an iPad and know what Isaiah was about to say and get his Oh, that was, oh, that was, oh, you hurt me right there. One of the moments. So good at your job. You killed me with but that it wasn't, right it wasn't, there. I want to be I want to be clear about this. That's, that was not meant to like set Isaiah up and hurt anybody. But this was, I could tell Michael, listen, Isaiah said this to me and I could read him a piece of paper. Why would I do that when I could bring Isaiah into this room right now? Isaiah can tell Michael himself, basically. So let's bring Isaiah into the room and have him tell him. Why would I, why would I not bring Michael's mom into the Absolutely. room to read a letter home? And so I, I'd be doing our audience a disservice if I, if I tried to get that out of Michael because he doesn't know me, but he knows Isaiah. He's got a visceral response to Isaiah when he sees him, just as he will to Gary Payton and Reggie Miller later on in the series. So that was valuable to us. It was a way of us kind of bringing the person into the room to tell Michael themselves. I mean, it, was, it was a great moment, a great exploration of sort of the the tension. And, and hatred's not the right word, but the distaste that they had for each other and the rivalries that they had. But there was a moment in the in this episode I wanted to talk to you about, which was after they didn't just get over the hump of being the Pistons, but they got over the hump of being the Lakers and Michael Jordan winning his first championship. And they talked about how he showed emotion. His own teammates saw emotion from him after winning that championship that they've never seen from him before. And Urban Magic Johnson tells an interesting story about the two of them embracing after Irving lost the game and Michael was crying and my co-host Jalen Rose, and a lot of people from his generation talk about how today's athletes are too close and the superstars <laughs> are all friends and they all hate each other back in the day. But I thought it was really interesting to hear a story I've never heard before. Those legends. Johnson and Michael Jordan embracing and Magic Johnson sort of just and the loss of a final series in the moment of that sort of respecting and understanding what it meant to him. What was it like to hear that from Magic? Magic is nothing short of, and and the adjective doesn't carry nearly as much weight today. But I was going to say presidential. Mm. Yes, I mean, yes. He's, I, I knew I was expecting him to be charismatic and to be and to be uh, graceful, and but the, the guy's got a presence unlike anyone that I've ever met. Literally, my just idol. He can come in a room and be just as awe inspiring as Michael, but he also is going to make you feel like his best friend immediately. I mean, he was offering to take pictures with the crew because we don't ask for pictures. He was begging the crew to take pictures. Oh, let me, someone said my uncle's a huge fan. Oh, let me FaceTime him right now. He doesn't have to do things like that. He's just, and there are no cameras around at that point. The cameras are off. He's just being a nice guy. So, so, um, thanks to, to, to magic for that. But, um, what was the original question? I'm sorry. What was that moment? Oh, seeing that moment. Yeah. Um, it's again, one of those moments and you'll see how real that relationship is in episode five, when you see them in the locker room together, it's, it's maybe my favorite uh, verite scene in the doc is, is these guys together next week in episode five, you see magic, Larry and Michael. And I've said that it's like, if you were at Mount Rushmore by yourself and the, and the head started talking to each other <laughs> and you're like, wait, is anyone seeing this? It's magic, Larry and Michael in a room by themselves hanging out. And the camera was there. It was incredible. So to hear that story, and I never heard that story and magic had never heard. This is another thing we didn't put in. We didn't have time for Michael's vanity plate in his car. He was magic Mike. In, in high school, he wanted to be called Magic Mike because he admired Magic Johnson mm. so much. If you look wow. at, at the, um, at the, the Mike Jordan media guide in episode one, and it says like favorite food, hobbies, favorite player, Magic Johnson. Wow. So that's how full circle this relationship had come. This is a guy he idolized who is now seeking him out to congratulate him. And, and it was not lost on Magic that the Laker dynasty was done as he knew it. 
they all knew that they had passed the torch to Michael at that point. So it's an incredibly gracious move on Magic's part because he could have just hung his head and slinked out the back, but he did the opposite. I didn't underestimate a couple of teases you dropped going forward, in particular Reggie Miller and Gary Payton, the disdain that MJ and or vice versa they have for one another. So what can we expect from episodes, and you teased five a little bit, five and six? Five and six, the flashback uh, portion of our episode, you're going to start to see, you know, Michael rising to the peaks of his fame. Mm. and the the perks and the luxuries that that offers the endorsement deals the riches the fame the attention the adulation and then in episode six you're going to see the price of that fame mm. and that sometimes it's not all that that those people bargain for and sometimes it's it's you know what no one's perfect and when you're trying to have that perfect image people are going to poke holes and it might be easier just to say you know what guys i'm not perfect and maybe to walk away and then in the 98 timeline i think what everyone's going to be talking about rightfully so there's a couple of things. There's, there's Michael, Michael made a very big signal in 1998, uh, in a game against the Knicks with something that he wore to signal that this was indeed going mm. to be the last dance. Um, and we get into that. And then, uh, you know, we dedicate episode five to Kobe and oh. the, uh, the footage that we have of Michael and Kobe and their interactions was really riveting to begin with. Uh, we interviewed Kobe last July, and then we finished editing that scene, uh, which was at the 98 All-Star Game at MSG um, in mid-January, so a week or two before the accident. Um, so, And we didn't change a frame after we were done. And what was a, a riveting, revealing scene became really poignant and, and in some ways heartbreaking when you, when you watch it now. But you'll see that, that how emotional Michael got uh, at the memorial service, that was real. And when he calls him his little brother, you'll see that, that Kobe thought that Michael was his big brother as well. Jason, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us live here. Um, what are you doing next Sunday night? You got some time for us next Sunday night too? <laughs> I'm going to be right in this chair. Perfect. Perfect. Well, where I'd rather be. Well, we can't wait. Thank you so much for joining us. And Jill and I got to debrief a little bit, but you'll be back next Sunday, right? Absolutely. 100%. Thanks, Thanks for the love. Then. All right, guys. Jason Aaron, not just great at his job at directing documentaries, also great at teasing. Great teases at the end of that interview there. He got the tease, tease, tease. He got the tease, the tease, the tease, the tease, tease. You know what? After every one of these, after every one of these Sunday nights, I'm like, man, I can't wait until next Sunday. Man, I can't wait until next Sunday. We get to what? And. He told I have us. a J and J question for you that's really important. Oh no! I didn't want to be unprofessional and ask this to Jason. Okay, okay. I'm ready. Right I'm now, ready. the doc is blowing up. Mm-hmm. It's trending everywhere on social media. Everybody posting things on IG. It's crazy right now on Twitter. People hitting me about the bad boys and blowing me up. I really wanted to ask him a question that I couldn't because I didn't want to be unprofessional. But I want to ask you instead. Okay, great. Do you believe? When he went to interview Phil, he smelled some goody in that five and a half hours. Oh, yeah. five. You know, Phil, you know, Phil don't go five and a half hours without some medicinal. If you interview for five and a half hours, there's some breaks. That was a three-hour interview and a five and a half hour hang. In Montana, we're walking through some trees to get from one house to the other house. Come on now. You know, Phil, you 
No, Phil just closed the door. He actually knew who Jason was. Phil just closed the door. And be like, ah, oh, give me a second. I forgot I got this interview. Let me go out in the back porch for a little bit, and then I'll come back. FaceTime with my daughter and pick and open the door. He knew exactly. He had to go FaceTime his so daughter. Jay, that's why I love doing the show with you. That's why I love doing the show with you because you know the story behind the story. You know I gotta go FaceTime my daughter. I'll be back in thirty yeah, minutes. Oh, I got. Oh, oh, Jason, who and your who and what? Close the door on him. Twist. He didn't do it. Then he said, Sit down for the five and a half hour interview. CJ, you, you see, you know what? That's why I love doing the show with you. And. We're not done, Jalen Rose. We will be back next Sunday. Same time, same place. Thank you. Bad boys. You've been watching the Jalen Jacoby After Show, The Last Dance, brought to you by our friends and partners at State Park. And you ready for this? You ready for this? Hold on, Jacoby. I got an exclusive right now before we end this broadcast. Right now, for everybody that's checking out us wrapping up with Jason Ayer. I got some Jalen and Jacoby breaking news. I just got a text. What's that? I just got a text. What's that? Isaiah Thomas just texted me. What happened? He's going to join our show on Monday to talk tomorrow? about what we got Isaiah Thomas on Jalen and Jacoby tomorrow. Yes. Oh, man. Yes. Oh, yes. Man. Isaiah Thomas will be joining us tomorrow afternoon to talk about tonight's documentary. Thank you so much for watching this show. Make sure you also tune in Jalen Jacoby because we are not going to stop talking about The Last Dance. Make sure you tune in next Sunday right after the episode six concludes. Got to give the people.